and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. We've been going through the book of Hebrews. We're going to be finishing up chapter 7, and uh, we've been going through this concept of Jesus replacing the old high priest with this new covenant high priest. And uh, we, we've been going through that for two or three weeks now. We're going to continue um, next week into it as well and talk about the importance of that. Before we get into the verses, though, it's good to kind of review a couple topics so we can understand um, we can understand uh, where the author's coming from and the people that it's written to, um, where they're coming from as well. And so uh, Hebrews is an unknown author or authors. Um, Kurt had a pretty cool point. Um, he said, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he was written by multiple authors. Reason being is there's parts of Hebrews I read and I'm like, okay, this has got to be Paul. But then in like the next chapter, I'm like... Okay, maybe that's not Paul. <laughs> but, but either way, it doesn't matter. What we want to know is we want to know the attitude of the author of Hebrews. And what we know about this person is that they are very well versed in the Old Testament laws or the Old Covenant laws. And we know that as we read through it because um, it's referenced multiple times. In fact, we'll see throughout chapters in Hebrews that the same verse will be mentioned, then he'll talk about it a little bit, and then mentioned, and then he'll talk about it a little bit, and then mentioned. And so um, that's important to know. The people that this was written to, these first century Jewish people, we can break into kind of three categories, so to speak. The first would be people who don't accept that Jesus was the Messiah, and they continue to follow in the old covenant law. The second would be people who do accept Jesus the Messiah, but they still continue to follow into the old covenant law. They still choose to, to kind of be able to atone for righteousness throughout the old covenant rather than the new. And then the third we see are people who are on the fence. They're kind of like back and forth. They're not sure. Yes, it fulfills prophecies. Yes, it fulfills scripture. But it's really difficult to kind of change that from culture. And so it's been, a, it's been an interesting journey, usually during the second service, which is right now. Um, we have a middle school youth, uh, service going on over there, and, and, and they're learning the same thing that we're learning here right now. And how do, you, how do you take a culture, you know, the first century Jewish culture, and apply it to modern day? And the truth is it applies directly. And we see that because if we break these three categories down to these people, we see that happening today. We see people who don't accept Jesus as the Messiah and they continue to follow in their old ways. We see people who do accept Jesus as the Messiah, but they still try to attain righteousness in some sort of legalistic manner. They still hold themselves to some sort of human standard. And then the third is we see people that are on the fence. They're searching. They're searching. And so uh, I know there's other examples other than just those three, but we can compare that as we go through the book of Hebrews. He goes to this concept of the power of his rest. And the power of the rest would have been well known to them. Uh, they understood the power of the promised land entering this rest. We, see, we know the power of his rest is something that is eternal. We, we enter into an eternal rest. And through that hope of entering into eternal rest, we are able to experience rest now in this very restless world that we live in. And so it's really important. But he follows it with warnings. The author follows it with warnings. One of unbelief. A warning that if you, you do not believe, you do not fully believe in this, maybe, maybe, maybe you know about it, or maybe you say, think you, or say you believe it, but you don't believe with it with your heart, then you're susceptible to not receiving this eternal rest. 
then you're left to the waves of this world that's going on around you. And then uh, there's this other warning that came up about falling away. And it's, it's a hugely debated concept, um, especially in the book of Hebrews, this idea that you might be able to get so callous someday that you walk away from your faith or you walk away from Christ. And uh, so either way, we see these warnings and, and there's, there's reason why he's bringing it up is that we need to make sure we remain faithful to Jesus. And then at the end of chapter four, he introduces this concept of Jesus then replacing the high priest, becoming this new high priest. And uh, for us to kind of understand the power of that, we got to understand what the role of the high priest was. And I know we've been talking about the high priest for a couple weeks now. Um, I believe last week, Kurt was talking about like, why do you need a priest? There was a lot of important things that came along with that. But when we understand who the high priest was to these first century Jewish people, we'll see that, once again, it applies to us just as clear today. The first thing we see is this individual to have authority and oversight in the temple. Uh, Some people even believed they were even able to decipher wisdom from God directly, overlooked finances, different stuff like that where people would go to them. But the most important responsibility would be on the Day of Atonement, once a year, when this individual would go into the Holy of Holies, He'd sprinkle blood, light incense, and then make an atonement for the people of Israel. And so this was a really big deal for them. Why? Well, it caused him to be a representation, a representative before God for the old covenant law or the old covenant setup. Why do we need a covenant representative before God or why did they need that before God? So why was a covenant covenant set up in the first place? Well, We have a perfect and holy God, we have a sinful people, and we have a perfect and holy God who wants to have a relationship with sinful people. But how does a perfect and holy God have a relationship with that? And so he sets it up through this covenant. So this covenant then gives us a relationship with God. It makes it it kind of possible. If humans keep their commitments, then God will be able to keep his promises and make this relationship happen. So in the Old Covenant, we see that, you know, the commitments were obey God's law, and in return, he will bless and protect Israel. Sounds pretty good. Just obey these laws, and then you'll get God's blessing and protection. If you've read the Old Testament, it's kind of like a roller coaster after that. It's kind of like an up and down. It's a struggle that kind of goes through all of that. But this did create a relationship with God, so they needed this representative, this high priest to go before in order to make this happen. So this relationship with God is a really important concept. And the reason being is we were created to have a relationship with God. John 17 says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So by knowing Jesus Christ, by knowing God and having a relationship with God, then we in turn receive eternal life. And we see the world is searching for this relationship. But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to the things by nature are not God's. And for the Galatian people, they were, they were literally struggling with um, mythical gods. They would go to different temples, they'd worship you know, the sex goddess of this or, or materialism of this or whatever. And once again, you would say, well, we don't really have like a temple for that, but we kind of do. Because these different gods that we see, we just call it something else. At least these guys kind of called it what it was. Whether the temple's a bar, whether it's the internet, whether it's a positional Uh, job, positional power at a job, whatever it is, we end up kind of going to this. And since we were created to have a relationship with God and that relationship's taken out, then we are kind of forced to kind of replace that with different things. And he calls it, you're enslaved to these things that are by nature not God's. And one thing that's interesting about us is we were built to bow. And, And the question is, what do you bow to? I think one of the biggest commandments we overlooked is idolatry. 
um, because it's something that we all struggle with on a daily basis. I mean, you see it everywhere. It's kind of like you're on the bumper rails and you bump back and forth between that. I've even seen people um, struggle with idolatry on being like the perfect Christian or being the perfect this or that ever, and they kind of like idolize that. We were built to bow. And we look around us, we look at this, this world around us, we see that they're, they're looking for a savior. So as we get into the, these verses, um, a good question to kind of reflect on and ask yourself is, how is your relationship with God? This is not a guilty question. This is not meant to make you be like, oh man. But it's something that we should think about on a daily basis. Um, I, I do that with my wife. I do that with my other relationship. How's my relationship with my wife doing? Are we doing okay? But how is your relationship with God? Is it strong and great? Fine. Is it something where you have doubts or things coming in that are causing, uh, causing some frustrations or maybe some friction? Or, or is it absent? How's your relationship with God? So let's pray and we'll dig into these, rela- to, to these verses. Father, we thank you so much for the book of Hebrews. We thank you so much for your new covenant and your love for us. Pray we'll take away distractions and just be able to focus on you today, Father, as we dig into your word. We thank you so much for your love and your forgiveness and just saving us completely. And we pray this in your name, amen. All right, so digging in uh, Hebrews 7, starting in verse 20. None of this happened without an oath, for others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath made by the one who said to him, the Lord was sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So the high priests of the old covenant were mostly born in the position through the family line of Aaron. So it was kind of like the, uh, the royal family of the priesthood. There was no oath given. Even our own presidents today, will, will, they're, they're kind of sworn into office through an oath. But what we see here is it's this family line where they're kind of born into it, and they're born into it, and they're born into it, and it goes through. But what we see here from Psalm 110, which is who the author is quoting right here, is this prophecy about a Messiah to come, like an eternal high priest that's gonna come. And uh, what we see is God makes an oath to do that. He makes a promise to do that. Before we go any further with it, we're gonna back up to chapter six to understand the power of that oath. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So we see this oath that was given, this oath that God said, you know, this, this prophecy that, that God said uh, a savior is gonna come or, or a Messiah is gonna come or this new high priest is gonna come and is able to save forever. We see here this is his unchangeable purpose. And since God is perfect and holy, he cannot lie. That would kind of undo what's going on here. So since he made this promise, since he made this oath that this was gonna happen, he guaranteed it. And this is the hope that is set before us. It is the anchor for our soul. It causes us to be firm and secure. And what a great thing is that. The enemy will get in and try to, try to make you doubt the salvation or, or doubt how powerful God's love is or how powerful God's ability to redeem you is. But we see here that it is an unchangeable purpose. It's locked in. Because of this oath, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. So remember, God's oath cannot be changed, but this salvation that we gain through Jesus is guaranteed. Um, Once again, Jesus cannot go back on his promise with that, or God cannot go back on his promise with that. And the reason being is it would kind of make him a liar. But they mentioned something here uh, described as a better covenant. 
And the better covenant is what we see is the new covenant. And once again, we have these commitments and these promises that are laid out. Of this new covenant, this better covenant, we see the commitment is to confess and believe in Jesus as Lord. Romans 10 tells us, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. This is the new commitment now. Not just say out loud, oh, I'm a fan of Jesus or I know all the Bible stuff, um, but also believe in your heart. It means, it means go all in. If I marry my wife and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm so for you, but in my heart, I, I, I don't want to have a relationship. I don't want to marry her. There's going to be problems there. It's not going to be genuine. The promise that we receive is salvation. Continuing on, the script, for the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame for since there are no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a better covenant. We're called to confess and believe in Jesus as Lord and in turn, in turn we'll receive salvation. It's not like this temporary cycle that was going through as before, but rather we have something so much better, so much greater. Verse 23, now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office, but because he remains forever, he holds the priesthood permanently. So it is claimed that there are 84 high priests from Aaron until the destruction of, of the temple in 70 AD when the Romans came in and destroyed it. Um, we just see this cycle come. Someone gets born, take it over, they hold it, then they die, and then they have to be replaced. So the old covenant was temporary, just like the high priest who re- represented mankind, but Jesus is eternal. The new covenant is eternal and the relationship with God is permanent. If you remember, we talked about truth a few months ago and the the difference between um, false truth and actual truth of God is something that we see as temporary and something that we see as eternal. And so what we see from the old covenant was definitely something that was temporary, but now with this better covenant that we have, we see something that is eternal. And it's better than just better, it's like amazingly better covenant and probably would have had a better title for it. And as you look at the covenants, and there's five to eight covenants, depending on what you want to describe throughout the Old Testament, you know, Noah's got one, Abraham's got one, but really they all kind of follow around the theme leading up to the new covenant. Like there's kind of like different chapters that kind of lead up to it. Even Abraham's promise, the covenant that set up with him was alluding to Jesus coming one day and saving the world. And so we see this played out. We see this redemptive, unchangeable plan played out before us. So now Jesus is the representative for this new covenant. So Matthew 19, so after the rich young ruler goes away and he's unable to, uh, he's unable to sell his stuff or give up his money, um, Jesus, his disciples were like, well, then who can be saved? Then Jesus said to them, with man is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see, this, this old covenant was set up. This old covenant was set up for, for, for people like, okay, obey the laws, and in turn, you'll get God's blessing and you'll get his protection. And it was like, great. And then we started going. And then, oh, there needs to be some sort of sacrifice to keep that going. Oh, there needs to be a a cycle to keep that going. Oh, there needs to be something to kind of keep that going. Because guess what? With man, it is impossible. We tend to hold ourselves to a human standard sometime where we kind of like in our minds and our own ideals of ourselves, we think, you know what? I I could do that. And then what happens when we fall short of that? (laughs) We don't hold ourselves to that human standard. But when we hold ourselves to God's standard, then all things are possible through that. All things are possible through his permanent salvation. Verse 25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. So this word completely here means forever or perfectly. 
So if you repent, you accept Jesus in your life, you start this new relationship with him, this new covenant relationship with him, you are saved perfectly and you are saved forever. It's something, it's locked in, you're saved forever. And this word intercedes here, this word, was u- this word used here refers to bringing a petition to a king on behalf of another. Now that could be a bad thing or it could be a good thing. It's a petition on whether or not this guy did this wrong or whether or not this guy or girl did the- something right. But thank God we have Jesus who does that before us. He, brings a, he intercedes, he brings a petition before us. We see this a little bit more in Romans 8. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he has been raised He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Jesus sits at the right hand of God. He is the one that intercedes for you. And like I said, thank, literally, thank God that's who it is. And then who can separate you from that? Who can separate you from the, the God that loves you so much? And he gives a list, hopefully not affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Nothing that this world will throw at you. We know that no one can separate us from the love of God. And thank God that Christ comes down and intercedes for us. Verse 26, for this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So unlike the Levitical high priests, we see that Jesus is complete. And he gives us this, this list here, and I kind of broke it down a little bit. Well, holy, he's able to follow the laws of God without cont- contamination. What high priest was able to do that? What human being is able to do that? No one. He is innocent. He was without evil or malice. He didn't do anything wrong to the people about, around him, to his relationships around him. And then there's this interesting one right here, undefiled, which means he was free from contamination in his relationship with himself. When I first became a Christian, I was 12 years old, and I remember thinking to myself, when I become a Christian, oh, this is gonna be easy. I'm not gonna sin again. It's gonna be totally fine. And about two hours later, I realized this is gonna be a lot harder than I thought. This is gonna be kind of a bumpy road here. And uh, that's because, once again, I kind of like created this human standard for myself. And what ended up happening is when I wasn't able to meet that human standard, it was kind of like a contamination with the relationship of myself. Um, they say the first life crisis happens in your early 20s. And it's not like I need to go out and buy something because I'm afraid because of my mortality. It's more like the realization that how amazing you thought you were and everything you were going to achieve. You're just like everyone else in society. You know, your, your individualist nature kind of comes down to humbles down a couple pegs and all that stuff. And we see that that's, that's, that's like a contamination with yourself of who you perceive yourself to be. And we can do that as Christians all the time. And the enemy knows this. So when we hold ourselves to that human standard, that's, that's what ends up happening. But that was not Jesus. He didn't have to wrestle with that. Separated from sinners. Well, he had no sin. He was exalted above the heavens because of this sacrifice because of his sacrifice, he was at the right hand of God, and he is God. But people are looking for these qualifications today. Just be aware. Um, every four years, our country tries to elect another high priest, it seems like. And, and, and you look at it, and uh, they look at it, and then when these guys don't live up to some sort of moral standard that has been idolized, because they don't meet the standard, what, you know, the, the kind of high priest we need, um, people are like, oh my goodness, even though everyone's doing it around them. Um, also, another thing to kind of keep an eye on, what happens when people who they try to vote into office, who they think is going to be able to be a good representation for them, uh, doesn't, doesn't get voted in. 
I've seen people cry. I've seen their whole world fall apart. I've seen all sorts of stuff. And I get it. If you're a business owner and there's economics, there's just stuff involved. But what we see is, is the world is looking for this high priest. They're looking for these qualifications in someone. They're looking for, for the Savior. Verse 27, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins and for those of the people. He did this once and for all time when he offered himself. So it says here the high priest would have to offer sacrifices daily and there's different perspectives on the daily because they definitely went in one day a year on the, on the Day of Atonement and whether or not he actually went in and, and made these sacrifices daily, um, that's one perspective. The other perspective is that this individual would sin daily. And, and have to come before God daily because of the sin he had, because that's what he's talking about here. But Jesus did not have to offer anything for himself. So the high priest would have to go in and make the atonement for sins, not only for all the Jewish people, but also for himself. He had to make himself right in that too, but that was not Jesus. He didn't have to offer anything for himself. Rather, he offered himself for us once and all, for all completely. And that's the high priest we need. That's the savior this world is looking for. Because what other, who else is going to do it? What other human being is going to be able to do that? So what type of relationship does God want to have with you? Why, why do all this stuff? Why set up all these covenants? And why, all, why do all this stuff to where, where you can have a relationship with God? Well, Romans 5 gives us a pretty cool description of it. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then since we have now been justified by his blood will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? What type of relationship does God want to have with you? While we were still enemies, while we were still helpless, Christ came down and he died for you. Do you understand that God loves us so much that he is pursuing a relationship with you? He's establishing these covenants. He's doing these different things, this unchangeable plan to establish a relationship with you. So if you fall into the category of, I don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, um, listen to the call. Listen to the heart. Be aware of what's going on in the world around you. If you have accepted Jesus and you believe it, but you don't choose to actually follow him, you're kind of that person that accepts it, but you're still kind of clinging to your own ways. Understand that God wants to have a loving relationship with you. He wants to change you. He wants to take you out from the other things you bow down to and make you bow down to him. And then the third thing, if you're on the fence, once again, be aware of what's going on around you, but listen to the call that's happening on your heart. The comparative Christ study that we're starting soon is an amazing study because it does, it outlines that. If you're on the fence, go to it. It outlines that. Verse 28, for the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. So it's pretty cool because the promise of the oath or, or really the prophecy that, that this new high priest was going to come, an eternal high priest was going to come, um, was set up after the old covenant was set up. And the old covenant in the next chapter is even called faulty. And Roger will, will teach on that next week. Um, but with Jesus as our high priest, we are sanctified forever. He is able to save completely, remember, perfectly and forever. This is done to allow a sinful people once again to have a loving relationship with their creator. And that's a good question to kind of ask ourselves. 
Are we choosing to having a loving relationship with, with other gods that we put in our lives, which we just read are not really actual gods at all? Are we trying to fill the void with that, with, with different stuff? Are we, are, are we understanding that God is trying to pursue a loving relationship with you? So this new covenant, or a better covenant, um, we are called to believe, repent, and follow Jesus, and then you will be made righteous eternally. Why set up all this? Why pursue people who are enemies to him? Why come down and die for helpless people, for sinful people? What gain is there in any of that? There's, there is a gain in there. And it's because God wants to have a relationship with us. And what an, like once again, what an amazing thing that is. So once again, the good question to ask yourself is, how is your relationship with Jesus? How is your relationship with Jesus? Um, once again, that's not a guilty question at all. It's nothing like that. It's, it's rather one to kind of make you think a little bit. Um, if we have a loving God that came down and died for us and pursued us, how is our relationship with Jesus? Do we live our lives to glorify him? Do we feel conviction when we're not glorifying him? Do we believe that he is able to save us completely? Do we communicate with him and do we follow him? So Mike is gonna come up and play a song for you guys. Um, Oh, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> it was actually nervous. I had to wait for the door to open. Um, he's going to go play a song. And this is a, this is a great song. It, it does a great job outlining just like the heart of the relationship uh, that we have with Jesus. Thank you, Micah. Yeah, that song came out when we were in middle school. Micah and I are the same age. Um, and uh, I, it, was, it was off a punk rock album. Christian punk rock album, but uh, there was an acoustic song on it, and that was it, and, and what kind of prompted me to kind of show this song, and it fit in perfectly, is after I, I was already maybe three quarters of the way through preparing the sermon, I was on YouTube, and I saw the little recommended video, and it was like, Relying K, getting into you, it was like, oh, they played it two years, it's like a 20-year-old song, they don't play that song, so I clicked it, I had to watch it, and uh, they played it live in the Philippines, and, and they did a great job with it, and then afterwards, the cameraman pans to the audience, and they're all in tears. And they're all in tears with it. And I was like, man, these guys totally understand the need for a high priest. They totally understand the need for a savior. They totally understand the need for a relationship with God. And once again, what an amazing thing that is. I love the lyrics. I've been a liar, but I'll never amount to the kind of person you deserve to worship you. You say you will not dwell on what I did, but rather what I do. I love you, and that's what I'm getting, that's what you're getting yourself into, is a loving relationship with God. So in conclusion today, Jesus is able to save us completely. Don't let the enemy come in. Don't let him take that away. It's very easy for him to do that. Um, don't, don't let him do that. I'm laughing because a student was staring at me. Uh, we need to have a firm relationship with Jesus. We need to have a solid relationship with Jesus. We need to have our heart, heart in, in it with Jesus. Um, and then God wants us to have a love, God wants to have a loving relationship with you. And are you answering the call? And if you are, that's great. There's nothing wrong. But if you're someone who's not, um, definitely think about it. Definitely listen to that call. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for loving us so much that you sent your son down to die for us, that while we were still your enemies, we were still sinful, um, just so you, we can have a relationship with you. We thank you so much for your amazing master plan that's been in the works for generations, Father. And thank you for the ability to, to pray to you, to have a purpose in life, to have a true God to worship that only comes with good consequences. 
And Father, I pray you'll bless our week as we head out. And Father, we pray this all in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.